0: Do you think Jesus meant it? Do you think he really meant that his disciples are supposed to make friends for themselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it runs out, they will welcome them into the eternal homes? Do you think he meant it? Do you think he meant that what it means to be faithful to God is to lie and cheat and steal until we have fixed for ourselves a place in heaven? I don't think so either. It's a tricky parable, isn't it? It's perhaps the trickiest parable, and many people have spent a lot of ink trying to explain away the challenging parts so that what is left is something that makes even a shred of sense to us. Part of that debate, part of that conversation, is over where the parable actually ends, our translation and most translations tell the story as if the parable ends when the owner commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness which means that what comes next the bit about the children of light and the children of this world and the bit about making friends with dishonest wealth that's Jesus speaking it's Jesus's interpretation of the parable his instruction to us but there are those who argue that it doesn't have to be that way, that maybe the parable keeps going. Maybe it's the owner in the story who is saying, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, maybe. And the fact that Greek manuscripts don't come with punctuation marks. <laughs> in fact, Greek manuscripts have only capital letters. There's hardly any spacing. It's, it's really difficult to tell when someone starts and stops speaking. So I suppose that could be true. There are others who take a different approach, though. There are those who reinterpret the act of the dishonest manager as not dishonest at all. They wonder whether, in fact, the debts that he canceled weren't money owed to the master, but his commission, his share in the transaction. And so, in effect, he's giving up his part of the transaction so that they might return the favor when he's found without a job. And still others argue that what the manager is canceling is actually the interest. The interest that his master wasn't supposed to be charging in the first place. That, in effect, that changing of the bills is a way to make the master seem more honorable. And even if the master didn't really want to give up his interest, he can't very well condemn his employee for doing the right thing and doing it publicly, can he? But I don't buy any of that either. Because Jesus isn't known for telling us easy things. We don't hold on to the words that he gives us generation after generation because those words are easy for us to receive because they make worldly sense to us turn the other cheek, love your enemies, hate your family, take up your cross, lose your life. We hold these things, we pursue these things, not because they come naturally, but because they're a vision of a life that we seek, a life made possible in God. This parable, like most of what Jesus says, is tough. And even though it comes in kind of a strange package, I think Jesus means for us to receive it as truth, as a story about urgency. And about what our responsibility is as followers of Jesus in a world governed by urgency. And the bit of the parable that helps me begin to put the pieces together comes right at the beginning when Jesus lets us know that the manager is being called into account because he has squandered his master's resources. Squandered. What an interesting word is squandered. Not skimming off the top, not making bad business decisions, but squandered. The word literally means to scatter Recklessly to throw about without any sense of aim. It's the same word that Luke uses just a little bit earlier to describe what the prodigal son did with his father's inheritance when he went away to a faraway land and squandered it in dissolute living. The manager had a job to do, his job was to faithfully manage the resources of his boss to the good of his boss to the good of his boss's business, to the good of his boss's family. But it seems that the manager didn't really care about that, that he was just spreading things around without worrying about what the results would be, recklessly, carelessly squandering those resources, perhaps not supposing that the boss of a business quite that big would ever stop and say, how are things going? And it's only when he gets called into account that he realizes what he should have been doing all along. He panics. Quickly, he sits down and thinks to himself, all right, what am I going to do when I lose my job? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. Here's what I'll do. I'll get my boss's debtors, and I'll cancel their debts so that when I'm fired, they'll repay the favor." That's dishonest. That's cheating. That's further betraying his master's trust. But you know what? It's smart. (laughs) And the master recognizes that it's smart. Jesus tells us that the master commends the dishonest manager for acting shrewdly. Now that's not supposed to make sense to us. It's a parable Parables take some strange otherworldly truth and bring it to us in this world in ways that often leave us scratching our heads, confused and perplexed. But notice that the owner commends the dishonest manager not for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness, his wisdom, his prudence, his cleverness. The word translated for us as shrewdness implies a visceral feeling, that gut instinct that all of us have, that little bit that tells us what we're supposed to do, what our responsibilities are, and how we're supposed to manage them. And it seems that for his entire management, that gut instinct wasn't there. He just ignored it. But now the owner sees in this wayward manager that instinct, that recognition that the decisions he makes with the resources that have been entrusted to him can make a difference in his life, in his master's life, in the lives of others. But it took the urgency of losing his job and worrying about a destitute life to help him realize it. Isn't that what Jesus is trying to teach us all the time? That what we've been given, our life, the relationships we enjoy, the time we've got, the talents we possess, the treasure entrusted to us that all of us, all of it, is supposed to be devoted to God's work because God's work is urgent. You don't need to live in fear of the second coming of Jesus to recognize that the time for us to act in order to make God's reign come fully. That time is now. If you want to know how urgent that is, come to community meals on Monday or Wednesday and sit down at a table and talk to the men and the women and children who are eating with us. If you want to know why it's urgent, talk to an undocumented immigrant who hugs his children extra tight every morning because if there's a knock on the door before they come home from school, he's not sure he'll ever see them again. Talk to the parents, the spouses, the children who bring loved ones to caring friends. Because a few hours of rest is one of the only things that makes it possible for them to keep that loved one who suffers from dementia at home most of the time. People like that, they can't afford to squander any of the resources that they've been given. And if we are followers of Jesus, then we can't afford it either. You know who knows about that sense of urgency? The children of this world know about it. Seventeen years ago, I worked as a paralegal at a pretty big law firm in downtown Birmingham. And my firm billed for my time at $90 an hour. If I was working on your case, you paid somebody, I never saw who, $90 for every hour I spent on your job. Which means that if it took me six minutes to go to the bathroom, my firm was out $9. Every minute of my day mattered. Every moment was counted. That's how the children of this world work. That's how the economies of this world work. How insurance companies treat doctors. How state legislatures uh, treat teachers. It's how online retailers treat their warehouse workers. Every moment, every gesture, every keystroke counts. And the powers of this world, the children of this world, know how to use the resources at their disposal with blinding efficiency and greed-fueled urgency to get done what they want to get done. What might the world look like if the children of light acted the same way? You have been given so much the resources at your disposal are limitless. If you sensed that God's kingdom was right around the corner, if you could glimpse the dream that God has for the world and see how close it is, if you knew how urgent your participation in that work really is, wouldn't you get up and do something about it? Wouldn't you do anything and everything about it? Wouldn't you even give up everything you have to make God's reign possible? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.